Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, we'll continue our discussion this evening on the Paramatma Sandarbha. We're in the fourth Anucheta, uh, dealing with the third uh, Purusha, as disclosed in the Bhagavat Purana. Shijiva Goswami says, The appearance of the third Purusha is as Sri Sukha explains. Some people meditate with fixed attention on the Purusha, residing in the space of the heart of their own bodies and measuring the span of the thumb and forefinger. He has four arms and holds a lotus, discus, couch, and club. Yiva Goswami is taking this verse from the second canto, second chapter, eighth verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam. He goes on, According to the standard, of Brahma Sutra, a Pradesh is a unit of measure equal to the distance between the forefinger and the thumb of the outspread hand. By the measure of, and then he quotes from the Vishnu, I'm sorry, not, not, Vish, not uh, from the uh, Vedanta Sutra, by the measure of Paramatma. I'm sorry, but the measure of Paramatma is spoken of with reference to the human heart because it is human beings alone who are eligible for meditation on him. So we're talking about the third Purusha. Kashira Dakshai Vishnu who's meditated upon. He's, he resides in the heart of every living entity. And uh, Jiva Goswami says, this measurement that is referred to uh, in the Bhagavat Purana is also spoken about in the uh, Vedanta Sutra. And it's a distance between the index finger and the thumb when they're held out. So... Yogis meditate on that form. But it's also pointed out that uh, sometimes, like in the Kathu Upanishad, that Paramatma form is referred to as the size of the thumb. So there's quite a difference between that size and this size. So which is it? And it's pointed out that the real, there's not a fixed size. The size of the Lord in the heart is according to the meditative uh, mood of his devotee. So Krishna reciprocates with his devotee according to his, his meditation. He manifests in the heart in that meditation uh, accordingly. So we don't need to get hung up in the measuring business uh, in referring to uh, this third of the Purusha avatar, Purushas. So now we've gone over those in brief. And does it say that it's from the tip to the tip? Because hmm. look here, the space, it could be the size yeah. of the thumb. Do you want me to read the verse again? But the measure of Paramatma is spoken of with reference to the human part. Okay, In the verse from the Bhagavatam, um, the space of the heart 
the span of the thumb and forefinger. So whichever way you want to meditate, it's okay. And if you want to meditate that the span is here, and you want to meditate the span is there, both are acceptable because Krishna will come in whichever span. But in all likelihood, you don't fall into that classification of yogis that are going to be fixed on the Paramatma within the heart. You have an Istadeva that's being cultured under the direction of a sadhu who has a conception of Krishna in Raj. So your meditation is naturally going to be on that form of the Lord and not on the form of the Lord that the yogi uses for his meditation. So that's why the Gaudiyas, they have a different a different approach. So we, we fixate our minds and our thoughts uh, on both the deity and on the uh, and the conception of the Supreme Lord as relayed through revelation uh, of devotees within our disciplic succession and in a mood as our as our devotional service develops and as we detach ourselves for material involvement, develops according to a mood, the conception that we follow, we have of, of Krishna, uh, or it could be of Lord Chaitanya if we become so wrapped up in his Leela, but the conception is, uh, is developed uh, as a servant of a Rigatmika. So if if the mood develops an association of sadhus in Sakiras, then we will in due course develop a, a mood of service at the stage of bhava bhakti uh, to follow in Baha'i or with to, to serve in the group of Somebody that's in Sakiras, Subal, uh, Mangal. So we, you know. Um, so it's it's a different meditation than what the yogis meditating on the Purusha avatar uh, or Paramatma residing in the heart. Moving along. Everybody has their size fixed now. And to the sixth Anucheta, the oneness, oneness of Paramatma in multiplicity. And this will be discussed a little bit in this Anucheta and developed a little further in the next. So, Jiva Goswami continues. Similarly, Sri Baladev told Rukmini, and Jiva quotes from the 10th canto, 54th chapter, although the supreme self of all embodied beings is indeed one, 
he is perceived as if mani- mani- manifold manifold by the ignorant just as a luminous planet appears as many when reflected in different reservoirs of water and just as all pervading space is conceived is divided when enclosed by different pots Jiva continues with Embodied beings, Dehinam, refers to the living entities, Jivas, while the self, Atma, here means the Supreme Self, or Paramatma. So this verse was spoken by Baladev to pacify Rukmini after Krishna had, uh, well, Krishna actually wanted to kill uh, Rukmi. Uh, He had stolen Rukmini and... uh, Rukmi chased after him and and threw insults at him as he was going away with his sister. Who knows what he said? I'm sure he was very upset. But it was he was Krishna became a, a little upset with him and and wanted to take his life. And um, Balaram intervened and said, "No, don't do that." <laughs> <laughs> this is the girl's sister, uh, brother here, and you know there's some some affection, natural affection. You can see she's distraught. I understand, yeah, he insulted you, but you know, man up and take it. <laughs> Don't kill them. Don't kill him. <laughs> so um, Krishna followed his older brother's instruction in that regard, and. Uh, and well, he actually insulted him to the extent it's practically as as much as death. What's it say in the Gita? Uh, for one who's known fame, infamy is is worse than death. He cut off cut off uh, Rukmi's uh, hair and took a, took away his mustache. So that's the context of the sloka that Jiva. He, he said that the, I, what was reflected in the pots? Is yeah. that example sometimes Science. used for Advaita thought kind of philosophy? Well, we're gonna that will be explained in the next Dhanocheta. Okay. So let's get to that and All right. not. I think you'll see the way Jiva, Jiva, and also the commentator. So we go on. Now this is the seventh Anucheta, and this is the last of the ones that are direct, dealing directly with the Paramatma feature of the Supreme Lord um, as a Purusha avatar, as one of the Purusha avatars. So we have Karna Dakshai Vishnu, Karbo Dakshai Vishnu, Kashira Dakshai Vishnu. So now we're this is the last Anucheta dealing with these three Purusha manifestations of the Supreme Lord. One Paramatma is present in all bodies. Jiva Goswami continues. Bhagavan Sri Krishna instructed Uddhava in a similar manner. So now Jiva quotes a verse from the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, the Uddhava Gita. 
And that verse reads as follows. This is Krishna instructing Uddhava. Just as the moon, although one, is reflected in numerous pots filled with water, similarly one supreme self alone is present as the self, Atmani, interior to all living beings. And the bodies too are of one essence. Jiva elaborates. There is only one supreme self, Paramatma, interior to all living beings, Bhuteshu, the jivas. He is not implicated in these bodies like the living entities. To assure us of this, Krishna says here, Paramatma is present as the self, Atmani, meaning that he is situated exclusively in his own swarup or intrinsic being. The word Bhutani here refers to the bodies of the jivas. These two have a single essence due to having him alone as their common cause. So there's a distinct jiva in every body, one distinct uh, fragmental portion of the Supreme Lord. Whereas Paramatma is, is one. The Supreme Lord is one entity. Uh, but the way we're discussing this, it seems contradictory. Well, if Paramatma is residing in everyone's heart, like two birds on a tree, which is also stated you know, in, in Shastra. Actually, it's an Upanishadic uh, statement, like two birds on a tree. Well, you have your tree, and I have my tree, and you have your... So there's, there's a lot of different trees. So there's a lot of different manifestations, one could think, of Paramatma. He's in the heart of every living entity, from the smallest to the largest, from the moving to the non-moving. Uh, 8,400,000 species, that's just the different types of bodies. Species, what to speak of how many bodies. So how many, para, you know, aren't, you know, this manifestation of Paramatma, it seems we're talking about a lot of Paramatmas, you know, uh, as many as there are living entities. Within this universe, the different Paramatma in the heart of every one. It's the way it appears. It's the way we conceive of it. And it's also the way Shastra sometimes speak of it. So Jiva's saying, let's just discuss this a little bit. Let's look at it. And uh, there's really only one Supreme Lord. And it's here's a, here's an analogy for you that Krishna himself gave when he spoke the Uddhava Gita. So first was the analogy that was given just prior to this by Balaram in trying to bring Rukmini to a philosophical level of understanding. Uh, regarding her brother. He's just a jiva soul. and 
you know, Paramatma's with him, you don't have to worry, you know, he's, he's okay. So Krishna got a little mad, but it's okay. So here, Krishna's saying to Uddhava, um, just as the moon is reflected in different pots, um, there is only one supreme, one Paramatma. So it is illustrated here through the example of one moon reflecting in many pots full of clear water. So the moon appears many if you were to have a lot of pots in the moon and you could look at each pot and say well the moon's in each pot but really there's only one one moon. That's a reflection. Yeah, so we'll go on here. Let's listen to the way it's developed. So then... Uh, the commentator in his uh, tika to this verse, such a Narayan Das, he says, well, maybe a better illustration would be that of air. The air is one, uh, and the space in a pot if it wasn't filled with water, so now he's, the water's not in the pot. Now we put air in the pot. So the, um, and maybe we can understand it better that way. So there's one air, and it's 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 in all the pots. So it's the one air, and it it's actually residing in each pot. But he, go, he says in his commentary, on the other hand, the example of moon reflected in water pots has the advantage that it depicts or implies Paramatma's complete presence in each living being. So in other words, it's not like Paramatma's, you know, he's saying, well, this, yeah, he's bifurcated. He's, it looks like he's in each pot as a separate individual moon would be reflected, but but in this other analogy that I'm giving, well, maybe that doesn't fit either, because the, that analogy is you're thinking the air's, you know, pieces. cut up into little pieces, and the little piece of the air's in each pot. And then he goes on to argue his point. Uh, so now we have two different analogies. So on this point, the example of Demarc. DeMar space is weaker because in the analogy is only a portion of the all-pervading space that is enclosed in a particular pot. Moreover, the moon has individuality. We can clearly see there's one specific moon whereas the air is everywhere, uh, unlike space. So on this point too, it serves as a fitting basis of comparison with the self. It is appropriate, therefore, that Krishna offers the example of the reflection of the moon as a metaphor for the self. So I will submit that Krishna's analogy is better in this circumstance than mine. But the point of both analogies is to express to us that there's one Paramatma, and he's, he's one, although he appears to be many. No matter how you look at it, it certainly looks like he's many. 
he's the other bird on the tree and every you know so it looks like he's one but he's really just one he's he's that well that's god he can be in everyone's heart and and be providing and protecting every living entity according accordingly to their involvement in material nature and it's not a problem he's his consciousness can take that all in we're not even fully conscious of our body and how it works and here's paramatma who's fully conscious of everybody and knows how everybody works and just to take it further so we can kind of grasp the immensity of that is there's 8,400,000 species of different bodies and I don't remember the particulars but there's 2 million birds alone and so many aquatics and so many four-legged animals and so 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 many trees it's uh, a lot so we're going to go on moving right along and this is a big one so we're back where we've now covered preliminarily what have we where are we where are we at now with Paramatma? Well, we know the Paramatma is what is is the observer of everything. We started out there with the first three Anuchetas, and then Jiva went on. He he made his point, and he elaborated upon that that truly, if we're to look to the observer of what's happening within this environment that we're placed where we've come well we've been since time immemorial um, he's he's the observer he's the primary observer and uh, there's a field of activities and we're also a miniature observer but our observations are very much colored by the influence of the environment and how we've interacted with the environment in the past comes into the body that we have now through various impressions. And those impressions are played out within three primary modes of material nature which are always mixed and we're given a particular body and we're giving a particular consciousness and we're placed in a particular division of of conscious living 14 basic basic areas within a universe from high to low and 8,400,000 different bodies and Krishna is as Paramatma is observing it all and then Jiva goes on to explain, and how does this all play out? How does it come about? Well, the Supreme Lord in his Paramatma feature manifests as a cons 
creative conception, and the term linga was used, potentiality, um, as first of all a manifestation of himself, Karna Dakshai Vishnu. Then from him, individual universes, he enters into them, Garba Dakshai Vishnu. Then a Brahma from Garba Dakshai Vishnu, followed by a whole host of living entities coming one after another through the progenitors as directed by the master of the universe, the creator, Brahma. Well, then, let's look more deeply at now the environment that the Paramatma manifests. So he's manifested from Garbha Dakshai Vishnu. He's entered into the living entities. And then there's some, some management. And those are also manifestations of Paramatma called the Guna avatars. So we have the Purusha avatars. Now, Jiva's going to go forward and explain to us the Guna avatars. Next, Sri Jiva Goswami will describe Paramatma's conscious portions, which are of two categories. So first a general description and then a more detailed description of Paramatma in particular. But let's understand we're also part of what's going on within the material manifestation. So Paramatma has two distinct categories. Um, his self-same manifestations and differentiated manifestations. And this is a unique characteristic of the Vedantist school of thought. This is the feature of Vedanta that distinguishes it from other Vedic philosophical schools, such as Nyaya, Sankhya, and so on. This is a distinctive feature. So all Vedantins accept that there is one supreme absolute truth, but their conceptions differ. And um, so this is this is unique and it's referred to here as a Gordian knot. It's a, a Gordian knot is a as a as a a difficult philosophical idea that requires a bold approach in order to untie it. So this is this this is as I said the unique feature of our school of thought of the Vedic, Vedic school of thought and what distinguishes it from other schools of thought or philosophical uh, ideals like Nyaya Sankhya. Uh, 
Now, Sankara, with his misinterpretation of the Vedic school's teachings of their scriptural uh, text, he cuts this knot by not assigning any ontological reality to empirical existence. Well, that gets you out of it pretty easy. Really, in the ultimate issue, there's only one supreme absolute consciousness. And all the varieties, the empiric variety that we experience in the world around us, it's just because of your ignorance that you're relating with it and think you're taking it as, as a reality. It's an illusion. It doesn't exmit you. It doesn't really exist. Well, that's one approach to the problem. Um, and we refer to that as a pretty radical approach. And Jiva refers to it as radical non-dualism. It's, it's kind of way out radical. It's like in the in, in, out in the left field. Like who would there has to be a more sensible explanation. I mean, look at what's all around us. There, It doesn't exist. It's not here. I don't exist. And the ultimate issue, I'm just something I don't know anything about and I don't have a, any characteristics. Whereas now in my beautiful dreamlike illusion that I've created from, from what? I don't know. It came from nowhere because... You know, there's no qualities in that supreme Brahman from which I came or I am. Yeah, that's kind of radical beyond comprehension. But all right, take your best shot. And Sankhya takes a pretty good shot. He has his he has his own Bhasha on Vedanta Sutra. He has, you know, he has come up with a whole philosophical concoction based on scripture which he puts forth as the the true reality of existence well not existence the true reality of the non-existence of our existence we could say so it's radical non-dualism and it's well it's impossible truly to, to, to first and foremost reconcile the interpretation of the Vedic literatures, the scriptures, it's impossible to reconcile if you look at them and study them deeply to reconcile what he says. It just, it, it just comes out as, as, a, as an elegant concoction and people buy right into it. Well, okay, sounds good. Look at him. He's, he's a, you know, he's a great philosopher, and, and this philosophy, he's, he's, he's using scripture. And at that time, he didn't have a lot of people. Not a lot of people were coming forth and challenging his, his, his take on on on, on what was happening. He has his way of cutting through this Gordian knot.
This radical yet ultimate, ultimately constricted approach is not appreciated by Vaishnav Vedanta. We don't like it too much because it belittles the transcendental identity of Bhagavan and the value of devotion to him. For Vaishnav Vedantins, the world is real, being a manifestation of Bhagavan's real energy. The one Bhagavan manifests his energy in various ways, and we can support our cons- what our conception of this reality is also with scripture. And we truly believe when you have someone like Jiva Goswami directing you, really, Sankara, you, you just really, your, your ideas don't hold any weight when it comes to somebody that can really look at the scriptures and see what they're saying. You don't see what they're saying. You see what you want to see. You make up your own. You make it up as you go along. Now, in his various, what he's given to humanity, his various discourses, his various commentaries, he's kind of let the cat out of the bag here and there and admitted his, the own, his own frailties in the, in the philosophical philosophy he's put forward and admitted, yeah, in the ultimate issue, yeah, there's a supreme person. One of the important topics that is dealt with at length later in the Paramatma Sandarbha is how the empiric world manifests from the potency of Paramatma. Before treating this topic, Sri Jiva first establishes that Paramatma is the unconditional cause and support of the cosmos as the Inman itself. Having done so, he begins to explain two main categories of Paramatma's expansions as avatars and as jivas. Sri Jiva describes the avatars of Paramatma in Anucheta 18 and then begins a lengthy discussion of the jiva that continues until Anucheta 47. So we're going to find out a lot about ourselves. So then he goes on in the commentary to mention that the avatars of two ty- avatars are of two types. Leela avatars and Guna avatars. I'm sorry, not of two types, of various types, of which these are examples. Leela avatars, Guna avatars, Purusha avatars, Manvantaras, uh, etc. And that will be explained. The former will be the former, okay, Leela avatars will be described in detail in the Krishna Sandarbha. So we're not going to get to the Leela avatars in detail, just a general description here in the Paramatma Sandarbha. And the chait is 6 through 26 of the Krishna Sandarbha. We'll deal with those. Here Jiva is particularly interested in describing the Guna avatars because they are directly related to the creation, sustenance, and dissolution of the cosmos, which come under the jurisdiction of Paramatma. So Jiva's eighth Anucheta proceeds as follows. He says, After thus establishing the various forms of the one Purusha, 
His portions, Amsa, will now be further described. His portions are of two types. This is Paramatma's portions. Self-same, Swamsa, and differentiated, Vibhinamsa. It will be described that the Vibhinamsa are the living beings, the jivas, who are of the nature of the intermediary potency, Tatasta Shakti. And in other, or in other words, the potency situated on the dividing line of and mediating between the intrinsic and extrinsic potencies of Bhagavan. The Swamsas are of various types with divisions of Guna Avatar, Lila Avatar, and so on. Of these, the Lila Avatars and others will be described, this is Jiva speaking, in the Sri Krishna Sandarbha due to the relevance of the context there. The Lord is manifesting himself. The Paramatma feature of the Lord is manifesting the cosmos and entering the cosmos. This is the one supreme personality of Godhead, but he's entering in two forms, as the regulator and as the regulated. Um, his his manifestation is the regulator, is Swamsa, and is the regulated is Vibhinamsa, uh, a differentiated portion, or the Jiva. A Swamsa, as the name implies, does not have the sense or egoism of separate existence or identity. He's fully identified as that one supreme absolute self. In other words, he's God. So that's his, he, he, has, he sees himself as having no separate existence. A Vibhi Namsa, however, ourself being one of those, has the self-concept of existing separate from its source. The true purpose of this separate self-concept is to enable the possibility of love for the Swamsa. So, God wants to be loved, don't we all? And he can do something about it. We, well, we have to try and hope that we can find it somewhere along the way. But we get overtaken by other desires along the way, and therefore we want our child to love us, but sometimes he'd rather play in the sandbox with his toys. So we buy a sandbox and we provide some toys. And we can become so overwhelmed that we're completely forgetful of the swamps of manifestation. So here it mentions that, uh, talking of the Swamsa, and Sri Krishna being the original form of Bhagavan, and he also exists in uh, three aspects within the spiritual realm, Vaikuntha. And according to the Lagu Bhagavatamrita of Srila Jiva Goswami, these aspects are 
called Swayamrupa, his own original form, Tad Ekatma Rupa, forms that are one in essence with his original form, and Avesh, empowered forms. So the first category refers to Sri Krishna um, as he is in his own original form. The second category, Tad Ekatma Rupa, refers to forms having the same essential nature as Krishna, but difference in appearance. This category has two divisions. So now the subcategory of those that... Um, it's Krishna, but he, they have a different form. It's God, let's say. It's, not, it's referred to it more broadly as Bhagavan. Um, this category has two divisions. Vilas, different forms so God can play, Vilas forms, and Swamsa, self-same portions. Vilas forms have almost the same potencies as Krishna, whereas Swamsa forms have a little less power. Examples of the first are Narayan and Vasudeva by Kunta. These are swamsa. Examples of the second include matsa, korma, and so on, as well as the manifestations of the purusha or paramatma. When a particular jiva is empowered with the specific potency of Bhagavan, that's what's referred to as avesh. And examples of that would be uh, Seshanag and Narada in Vaikuntha. When Bhagavan appears within the cosmos, which is a manifestation of his extrinsic energy, he is called an avatar in almost every instance. But sometimes Bhagavan, Sri Krishna, Swayam, Rupa, the original personality of Godhead comes in his original form. He's referred to in scriptures sometimes as an avatar and that's okay according to Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. Uh, he's also to be seen in a proper understanding, a more full understanding as the original Bhagavan Sri Krishna. Sri Chaitanya also falls into that category of appearing like an avatar but being the original personality of Godhead. Krishna Stu Bhagavad Swayam. So according to Lagu Bhagavatamrita, there are three categories of avatars. Purusha avatars, Guna avatars and Leela avatars. And as we mentioned, the Leela avatars will be dealt with in Krishna Sandarbha. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason they'll be described there is according to something we call Sangati, uh, or context. 
things really need to be seen in context. Otherwise, people could draw a wrong conclusion. So that's Sangati, and that's being used here to say, we're going to talk about the Leela avatars in the Krishna Sandarbha because that's the proper context in the presentation he was saying that I'm making. So there's three Purusha avatars and there's three Guna avatars. In the next discourse, we will continue with this discussion of the Guna avatars and how they are also manifestations of the Paramatma feature of the Supreme Lord. Any questions on what we discussed this evening? Thank you so much for your association.